Hi, welcome to another episode of the Joyful Balance Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Mira, and Hi. this time we are together. <laughs> Woo! So if you're new, we are having a podcast about uh, neuroscience, psychology, hypnotherapy, and good old living all mixed into one. We also talk about nutrition and we are here to just guide you on your journey. We are on our journey ourselves. Absolutely. And we are just sharing knowledge and trying to make it, you know, less alone for you and helping to better your relationships with yourself, with others and with food. So without further ado, here we are, another episode. Another one. Wow. I know. How's it going? It... Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have an answer to that. Yeah, you've been busy. We've both been busy, guys, and we are currently in a studio, as you can see. If you can't see us, we are in a studio. We are doing this the professional way. Yep. And it's the first time either of us are in such a studio, so a little bit of, a, you know, rookies here. Yeah, there was a bit of a kerfuffle, but mm. it's fine. You know, we're learning as we mm. go along. Uh, we'll make it bigger and better every single time. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm feeling more relaxed now. We're we're kind of ready and set. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So today it's all about the brain. I should have said that. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. So today it's uh, a lot on me. So I apologize in advance for how much you're going to hear me talk. Uh, so I'm going to be taking you on a tour of your brain, trying to give you the really interesting parts. Uh, and yeah, and, and Denise, you're just going to pepper me with questions that I can hopefully answer. Uh, and yeah, and then I'll, I'll tell you what's what. How does that sound? Sounds good. Sounds All good. Right. Let's go right into it. All right. So. Cool. So Essentially, so I studied, just by background, I studied uh, neuroscience uh, as a master's and then I ended up uh, as a result of personal experience, which we've kind of covered in a previous podcast, finding that nutrition really helped my mental well-being and, uh, you know, wanted to find out more about nutrition and, and, you know, understand how it works from a neuroscience perspective. And so uh, I went and pursued an, a whole other qualification in nutrition. And now I'm very, very lucky that I get to marry the two really nicely. But even though whenever I tell someone I have a degree in neuroscience, everyone always thinks my IQ points are like 12 points higher than they probably actually are. Um, but no one really knows what it is. Uh, and so I thought I would actually start with a little explanation of, of what neuroscience actually is. So, of course, as it says on the tin, it's basically the study of uh, the neuro, the the nervous system, and it's kind of looking at how the nervous system is structured. Because we say, always say in biology, the way things are structured uh, ultimately tells you what it actually does. Uh, so we always always drummed into me from a very young age: structure equals function, and that will always come up when I'm explaining how the brain works and how nutrition helps the brain and all that kind of stuff because it's important. And we kind of study it all the way from development all the way to when it degenerates uh sadly in later life uh or, or sometimes even along that journey and so it's really understanding uh the brain the nerve the, how it links the spinal cord all the nerves that come off it but generally with uh, a lot of neuroscience there's a lot of emphasis on the brain which arguably is actually one of our most undiscovered organs because it's so hard to test 
Um, and if I remember, I'll try and pepper in some interesting ways that they, they kind of test brain and, and all those exciting things, including in surgery, which is mm. kind of an interesting point. Mm. So I'm going to just jump straight into it. Uh, mm-hmm. So you we, we, we always divide the nervous system into two. So you've got the central nervous system, which is your brain and your spinal cord, and we've got the peripheral nervous system. I'm going to part the peripheral bit aside because that's basically all the nerves that kind of, uh, you know, come off the spinal cord and affect your hands. Exactly. Your arms, all your organs. We'll talk a lot in not this, probably this episode, but the next Mm. uh, episode where I cover nutrition in the brain, how the gut and brain are are very heavily interlinked. Um, But we're going to part the peripheral nervous system because because what I certainly focus on a lot is the central nervous system, particularly the brain. Now, your brain is made up of somewhere between 86 and 100 billion neurons. And no, though, only. Only. Just just <laughs> ballpark. And there are about five times as many uh, non-neural cells that basically help your nerve cells send electrical signals and chemical signals. So it's a massive, massive network of cells. But tiny, right? Oh, the cells themselves. Yes. Because yes. I'm yeah, just imagining yeah. our brains. Yeah. They have, you know, mass and everything, but they're not that big, so they can hold billions and billions of big cells. But what's really interesting is how much do you think a brain actually weighs? Um, Educated guess? Go on. 400 grams? So it weighs a whopping one and a half kilos. Whoa! Yeah, which is about three pounds. So, and most, and a lot of that is because it's actually 60% fat. Oh. Uh, And so... That's really important because I'll go on in a later episode to tell you why uh, fats are actually so important for your brain, particularly the right ones. Now, your brain is kind of divided in half. So you've got what's called the right and the left hemispheres. Hmm. Um, now, what's really interesting about your the way your brain works is that the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body. And the the reverse is true. So uh, what did I say? Right. So the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body. Right side of the brain controls the mm. left. And it's called contralateral uh, control. Now, we as you know, when you study neuroscience, when you study any kind of biological sciences, right, they we love to categorize and break things down and provide like 600 names for almost the same thing. Mm. So we've got the brain. And it's not only divided into two halves, you've also got what are called lobes. So they're yep. sections of the brain. Yep. And so um, I'm purely, yeah, you, not expecting you to remember any of this. Even I sometimes forget this. And we'll this is give my you brain. a test, guys. Oh, God, this. don't. <laughs> <laughs> it was a test of my memory, actually, to see how much I could remember. So we've got the frontal lobe, which is kind of the most interesting part for you and I, where mm. it's basically all about sort of emotional regulation, uh, you know, controlling your impulses, um, decision making, a little bit of movement, which is something I'm going to come back to later. And even um, part of your speech is controlled in mm. this area. And, that, and there's a very interesting patient that I'll come back to in relation to that. You've then got your um, parietal area, which is kind of along the sides. Um, and that essentially uh, is about object identification, understanding where you, you are positioned in relation to other things in your environment, which probably explains why my spatial recognition is dreadful. Um, and also it's about um, sensations, so interpreting pain and touch. And there's also another part of actually speech res- recognition mm. uh, in that area. 
Now you also have, um, sorry, your parietals are kind of more up here. You've got your temples along the side and that's more for memory. Again, a little bit of speech, interestingly recognizing smells and uh, musical rhythms. So essentially when you're enjoying uh, a piece of music, whether that's mm. classical or whatever you enjoy, that's the part of your brain that really, really lights up. Mm. Uh, and they can see that in studies. And interestingly, even though your eyes are obviously at the front, you interpret all of your vision all the way at the back in the occipital lobe. Hmm. Um, so you essentially, you know, your your what your eyes see has to travel actually quite far back into your brain for mm-hmm. you to actually register what it is that you're seeing. Hence, if you if you hit your head, you'll get the blurry vision for a little while. Yeah, and and, and people, you know, people who have unfortunately sustained damage to the back of their yeah. head, yeah, will lose, will kind of very easily Oof. lose their vision. So if we take uh, aside the fact that you've got these two hemispheres, you've got all these, the, these four kind of uh, different zones, if you like, what we're also really interested in is more the deeper structures. And, mm. and these are particularly important, particularly when we think about things like memory and emotional processing, which are really relevant to a lot of what we talk about uh, and what I'll certainly be referring back to all the time. So we've got this amazing tiny little gland that mm. actually sits um, sort of deep behind the bridge of the nose. So actually, if they're operating on this part for whatever reason, they can go up into your nose and actually uh, do whatever they need to do to that part of the brain, which is wild to me. And so essentially... <sighs> Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of lobotomies. Yeah, not so much a thing now. I know, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not vouching for them coming back, but I just re- remembered one of these scenes where they were, you know, the lady suffered with melancholy or something stupid yeah. they used to call it, and yeah. then they were doing those kinds of things to regulate. Yeah, thankfully the treatment of like mental health conditions has come a long, long way. Oh, and thank it's, God. Yeah, it's still got a long way to go, but... um. In terms of what we know about the brain uh, and how it works, um, you know, the types of uh, medications they're now uh, finding that works, the types of uh, psychological therapies that they're finding work means that, you know, that, I mean, the botomies were basically useless. Uh, no, they, were. Apart from, they were. Yeah, yeah. They were. They were. But yeah, that was just a side note in the sense that the gland that uh, Mira was telling us about is positioned so, you know, in a prime spot that somebody at some point thought it was a good yeah, which is idea. crazy because it actually like it regulates the hormones in all parts of your body, which is why I'm mentioning it. So things like your thyroid, which are uh, really important glands, particularly for metabolism and even for your mood that kind of sit in your neck, your adrenals, which are really important for your stress response. They sit above your kidneys and also your sex organs as well. So the ovaries and the testicles. Now, what's also really important is what sits above the pituitary gland. And this is one of the most key uh, emotional structures. Uh, one of the key regulatory structures. So the pituitary gland then sends its chemical signals to what's called the hypothalamus. And that's really involved in regulating your body temperatures, your sleep patterns, hunger and thirst, um, and also memory and emotion. Hmm. And then now I'm getting to a couple of the really interesting ones. And these are my two faves. And that's the amygdala, which is this small almond-shaped structure. That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually it sort of sits um uh, underneath the two halves of the brain, and that regulates your emotions, your memory. Um, it's also got a role in your reward system and massively in your stress, mm. fight or flight response. And that's something that I will come to in a future episode. I promise I'm through the boring structures, but I wanted to kind of take you through a very brief tour just to get you to 
orient yourself uh, towards mm. the brain, what neuroscience is all about, what we know that the brain does. Um, and also it will give you a reference point when we continue these episodes and this will continually mm. come up. Mm. I yeah. think what I wanted to, to just pinpoint very quickly is this little almond shaped gland mm -hmm. in the huge uh, place that is the brain that Mira just told us is it weighs over a kilo she's tiny yeah I call her she because just because <laughs> you know women rule the world absolutely so um she's so tiny and she has such an important role yeah. such an important and one of my other favorites that I almost equate equally is the hippocampus so this is a really funny little sheep sea horse shaped organ um part of the brain structure mm. that uh, sits beneath each temporal lobe kind of really in the middle and that really supports your memory your learning uh, navigation perception of space um you know and that's also got a very heavy role particularly with mental health um it's a lot of what we worry about in states uh, you know when we start to uh think about people unfortunately start to lose their memory in later life um so the hippocampus and amygdala um, along with a few other structures like the thalamus, which is basically like your gateway of all the sensory information that comes into the brain and how it passes it all out. Uh, other different structures whose names uh, are really, really complicated and probably not that interesting. And also the frontal cortex. Together, they all start to form what's called the limbic system, which is really important for emotional regulation. And that is something that we will come back to uh, again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So now we've put, we've kind of got all the structures out of the way. Um, now, what's really interesting about humans and the human brain is that relative to um, our body size, our brains are actually quite big. Now mm. they've looked at, <clears throat> excuse me, they've looked at different uh, animals and tried to assess, actually, does that indicate that we are more, how does that link to intelligence? Now, like many things, it's not a straight correlation and a direct relationship that guarantees that the size of your brain relative to body size indicates how intelligent you are. But generally, the trend says that the, the higher that ratio is, generally, the more intelligent that that, pers that person, that that, that species um, actually is. But what's the reason that kind of we get that competitive edge over different animals in the animal kingdom is because we've got such a developed frontal cortex, mm. which really enables us, um, it, it improves our intelligence vastly. And it also gives us the edge in terms of planning, mm. which animals don't have quite as much of. And that really gives us a competitive advantage um, and, and it helps us be basically top of the uh, animal kingdom. Now, the other things are that, um, you know, even though the brain only makes up about 2% of body weight, it actually takes up a whopping 20% of energy, which is huge. 20%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So your brain is an unbelievably energy hungry organ. And that's really important for us to bear in mind when we're starting to think about, um, you know, what nutrition uh, we provide for the brain. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's 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 unbelievably important to really provide adequate nutrition for your brain to make sure that you're fueled because it really does help your thinking. Absolutely. And another fun fact for you guys is, in case you didn't know, mm -hmm. the, um, I mean, Mira, you know, but the others, others. <laughs> <laughs> is that um, prefrontal cortex, it basically takes years for it to be fully developed. That's true. So it's not something that we are necessarily born with in terms of it's fully fleshed, that's it, it's there. It takes, I think, 
I think it's until your teens, really. Uh, or 18, it's not 18, later. Yes. Yeah, your late teens. A- yeah. 18 is uh, according to, to some uh, studies, but I think more recently they've said that it will become fully developed at around 25 years of that's age. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... So that's why, you know, uh, teenagers, children aren't as in control of their impulses as adults are because their prefrontal cortex yeah. isn't fully developed. So as, as tempting as it is to get annoyed with kids, you have to yeah. remember that you've got to give them a little bit of leeway sometimes because they just don't have that inhibitory control um, and that mastery over their impulses that we do as adults. Yeah, absolutely. And linking that back just for a second for, for children is that you, we also have to remember that they are born with the amygdala. They have emotions. They mm. just don't know how to process them because of point. this lack of maturity of the prefrontal cortex overall. They know they feel things, but they wouldn't be able to put their finger on and say, mom, <clears throat> angry they yeah. wouldn't know what that is so yes for that's the parents, a really good point parents out there please be kind yeah they don't know they're yeah. tiny they are tiny i've got a th- three-year-old niece so that's mm. definitely something for me to remember next time i'm hanging out with her because she got the hump with me last time because i told her <laughs> <laughs> well nobody's perfect but we all try our best <laughs> we do she knows that i love her dearly so now what another really interesting fact right so you so you've got two halves of your brain and interestingly uh it's it there's a bridge between the two halves that's called really fancily uh, a latin name called the corpus callosum and it's this thick uh band of fibers that connects the two halves of your brain together now sometimes and uh you know rarely uh when patients have epilepsy that they cannot treat any other way they will actually snip the corpus callosum and essentially functionally separate the two halves of the brain Why? and that's <clears throat> because it stops the seizure spreading across the whole brain oh. yeah so it's really for uh for for patients who just who like medication has just failed to control their epilepsy hmm. and so it's interesting because you know it's really helped us and these rare what they call split brain uh, patients really helps us actually understand um how the brain works and unfortunately we don't have time for this episode but i'm definitely going to come back to this because i think hmm. this is a really interesting neuroscience point because obviously they've done different studies and i think sometimes they've even found <clears throat> back in the older ones where perhaps they would have been a much more severe cutting of that corpus callosum that they've actually found that almost the two halves of the brain are arguing with each other and that comes out physically in like the hand wanting to grab the right hand wanting to grab an object and then the left kind of fighting it oh wow yeah yeah so um but now they don't necessarily uh dissect the whole of the corpus callosum okay. um but it's a really interesting uh, these split brain patients is definitely one that i want to explore but unfortunately you're going to hear enough of me talking in this uh episode that i'll i'll save it for a future one before before we move on sorry to interrupt you not at all i'm curious Mm. um i might know the answer to this but i think other people out there might think that what they read you know in social media is correct are people left-brained or right-brained oh because you know the the story goes the creatives are like left-handed Yes, and they are left-brained, and that's, I don't know, dominant, and the more logic people are the other way, and things like that. I personally believe that that can't really be true. You can't just use half of your brain. But Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. I mean, like, none of the research that I read on a regular basis, uh, you know, subscribes to that or or points that out with any sort of regularity. I, I... 
you know, what's really interesting about the brain and actually something that I was going to a kind of joke that I was going to crack in literally just a second is unlike me, your brain is highly organized. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, you, I feel listened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, your brain is like super organized. It has very specific areas that form very specific jobs. And I'll talk about that literally in a second and how that actually works. So yeah, there are certain parts of the brain that will dominate for certain tasks, but does that mean that you negate the other half not really and also skills that you practice on a regular basis strengthen those areas mm. of the brain and that's an that's a an amazing feature of your brain called neuroplasticity uh. right where you know continued practice of an action whether that's singing playing an instrument learning a new language uh, any physical skill uh, you start to develop more neurons or neural connections in particular in that brain so your brain actually is pretty what they say plastic so it actually molds based on uh, the functions that you need it to perform. Mm. So actually they're fine with children, for example, like uh, performing brain surgery on children actually kind of, uh, it, it gives them a better chance of recovery in a way because their brains can mold uh, according to the damage that they've sustained mm. Or, mm. or what surgery they've had to undergo. Yeah. So it's actually pretty amazing how adaptable children actually are Absolutely. Uh, in the face of, you know, really traumatic injuries. Yeah. Um, and the same the same thing comes into play when when you're talking about CBT so mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy the one of the main reasons why this is a type of th therapy which is shorter term than others is because it plays on this capability of our brain to rewire in Absolutely. the sense of you know if yesterday you used to go straight to the cupboard and have 3000 biscuits if you're practicing a completely different behavior over time, that will not necessarily be your uh, reality anymore because you're building a different connection, a different path. Yeah. And that's the beauty of our brains, because you can do that. And if, I don't know, up until yesterday, you've never written a sentence, you can start practicing it. Mm -hmm. And over time, it again, you can write beautifully or any other skill, as you were saying, because it, it literally takes mastery. You you have to master that skill, yeah, whichever totally. that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, very, very valid point. And what I find really, really fascinating about the brain, it actually kind of uh, links a little bit back to what we were just talking about in a second ago. So, so behind, just behind your frontal uh, lobe, You've got these strips. Um, if you imagine like two sort of ribbons that go down sort of the crown of your head, you've got the, what's called the primary motor cortex. And that's basically controlling all of the, your, essentially your, your uh, motor functions, so your movements. Now, what's really interesting is like, in, I mentioned that your brain is highly organized. Along this strip um, on each side, it basically controls the movement of um the top from the top of your body and it's and it's literally like a stack of almost dominoes so you, you kind of control your lips uh then your neck then your trunk then your mm. you know sort of your hands your legs and it all just nicely comes down this strip uh of the primary motor cortex now what's really interesting is the amount is the way the the amount of space that's dedicated to each aspect of your body is dependent on how fine the movement actually is. Oh. So that means that actually your lips yeah. uh, to like, you know, don't forget you need to be able to talk, you need to be able to chew, you need to be able to swallow, all of these things. Whistle. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually 
have a take much more space in your brain because the detail of the movement is so so fine compared to like your knee which literally moves in one direction so what scientists have actually done which i just think is utterly hilarious and i really encourage you to go and google it if you've got time or, or the inclination uh, as one neuroscientist here does uh, is they call, it's called the cortical homunculus so what they did is they actually um create a physical representation of uh how much brain space is dedicated to that body part mm. and the more brain space is dedicated to the body part the more they blew up that body part so you could actually see <laughs> in real life what it looks like so this cortical homunculus is like the most bizarre looking uh uh person with like the biggest lips i've ever seen <laughs> which totally makes sense right like, so i just think it's so so interesting and and absolutely fascinating and it's one of like, for some reason, it's always been the thing, like from my studies, that's really stuck out in my mind. Um, but yeah, if, you, if you're ever inclined, definitely worth Googling. We're, we're going to put the name down in the description, yeah, I know. guys, because it's, it's there's not a something of, you There's a lot remember. of Latin in neuroscience. Yeah, 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 a lot of Latin. Um, okay, so where was I going with that story? All right, so what, what, so one of the ways that we've really begun to understand the brain is actually seeing what happens when it goes wrong. Because... Um you know, the brain is housed in this really thick skull. You need to, um, you need to have a patient that's awake half the time to be able to test what parts of the brain do what function. And, and, you know, back in way mm. back, they would have done far more barbaric things. And now, you know, some neurosurgery is still conducted whilst the patient is awake because Ooh. you know for example if they're move, removing a tumor which is in a really delicate area um they have to make sure that they uh don't uh step in or don't put the probe into an area where that p patient is going to lose a particular function oh i've seen something I, I think it was a movie and the patient was a violin no. was this like gray's i bet it was gray's i, I can't remember I but he was, was a um he was playing some sort of uh, instrument. I don't remember if it was the violin or something, but he was very, very world-renowned yeah, in that I, particular... I think it was Gray's. And then in the surgery, they, they chose to do it while he was away yeah. because they were worried that he won't be able... He, I remember now. Yeah. During the surgery, he was playing the violin because they needed to make sure that they were not touching yeah. any of the you know areas of the brain where he would be able to be playing yeah i mean do you know what's funny right is i actually watched like i want to say at least six solid seasons of grays whilst i was doing my <laughs> my <laughs> masters and i convinced myself that this was educational like <laughs> i was like because derek shepherd was a neurosurgeon so i was like this is this is educational but but what's really I'm sorry, but the things we say to ourselves, know, guys. It's just hilarious. <laughs> yes. Listen, yes. we're as fallible to this sort of stuff just as much <laughs> as everyone else. So so they began to really understand the brain primarily when things go wrong. So there was a really interesting patient um who was named at the time in a lot of literature as Mr. Tan. Hmm. So Mr. Tan had sustained uh, some uh, injury to his brain. And I can't remember how it was that, that, I don't know if it was a stroke or it was a traumatic brain injury in terms of like a physical assault, but basically he lost the ability to speak. So oh. all he could say was the syllable Tan. So he could, I know <laughs> sorry. the poor guy. I'm laughing, so he could sorry. like, he could use hand gestures. He could, you know, vary his pitch and his inflection. So it was clear that he was trying to communicate and that he understood communications mm. but he literally couldn't speak so eventually his his brain was um donated to um science eventually uh and 
you know, when they did an autopsy, they they revealed that actually it was his left frontal area that was particularly damaged. Hmm. And that ended up, and his um, doctor, uh, or his surgeon, uh, who discovered this was called uh, Paul Brocker. So then that became known as Brocker's a- area, which is where we now know that speech mm. comes from. Comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but another, arguably the most famous uh, story uh, I have for you, uh, in all of neuroscience, to be honest, is uh, the story of Phoenix Gage. Have you heard this one? No, no, not all at right. all. So Phoenix Gage was around in, he was a guy in his sort of like uh, early 20s, back hmm. all the way back in 1848. Ooh. Yeah, so he was part of a crew that was creating a new railroad um, in America. So part of his job was to... Um, basically stuff explosives into the ground hmm. using a tamping iron rod so if you literally imagine you know the way they made coffee and they yeah. use the tamper thing yeah yeah basically did that but with explosives Ooh. uh yeah so um so he had this rod which was about 43 inches about one and a quarter inches in diameter just to give you an idea of what this mm. rod was like um now what happened was when he was uh stuffing the explosive with his tamping rod it must have created sparks or something happened and essentially the the explosive detonated early yeah so now you know what's about to come next guys so essentially what happened is it pierced his left cheek kind of went um kind of through his left cheek yeah yeah my left side is the side uh (laughs) yeah it's been a long day guys it's been a really (laughs) long day we're in the middle of a heat wave um so it's amazing i know the stuff about the brain but i can't work out my left or right <laughs> please leave this in it's just yeah anyway so he went through literally like about here he lost his left eye unfortunately uh and it literally came out of his skull about mm, here mm. and then he landed about 80 feet some 80 feet away now what was unbelievable was that he actually survived this accident and now i just realized that i know the story yeah from the yeah, psychology yeah, class. yeah so it comes up it's literally the most famous arguably one of the most famous patients but that reminds me we should totally do an episode on famous psychology experiments yes. that's uh, such a good idea yes but uh, yeah i i think we just need to do the the famous ones but not the grueling ones because Way back when, when you were allowed to do experiments on animals. Uh, oh, yeah, it's pretty grim. Yeah, yes, yeah. and children. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we have to be careful with that one. Fair enough. Yes. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. So he, um, so yeah, despite how severe this injury was, he actually survived. And uh, he lost his, uh, he lost the vision in his left eye. Physically, he was okay, apart from, you know, some obviously physical scars. But what really changed was his behavior and personality. Hmm. So essentially, you know, before he was kind of seen as this God-fearing uh, guy who had a family, um, who was an upstanding citizen, he was energetic, he was motivated, he was hardworking. And afterwards, he unfortunately became extremely mis- like surly, he was aggressive, and he mm. beca- unfortunately became an alcoholic and he couldn't hold down um, a job. <clears throat> so really, what they noticed <throat> is it massively impaired his ability to process emotions, to make decisions, to control his inhib- to have control over his impulses. So he lost his inhibit- inhibitory kind of control and mm. particularly around social inhibition. So he just he just couldn't avoid re- reacting in certain ways uh, or behaving in so in or inhibiting behaviors that would be deemed as socially inappropriate mm, mm. so eventually what happened was was uh you know his his brain and his his skull in particular were donated to medical science 
and they kind of worked out that he'd actually suffered injuries to his left prefrontal cortex. So those mm. parts of your brain that are involved in emotional processing and rational decision making. So really, he was like one of the founding patients of modern neuroscience uh, and led us to realize that actually different parts of the brain do different things. Thank um, God for that. Yeah. And well, so not for him. Of yeah, course. We're very sorry for his uh, Absolutely. Know, history. But... Yeah. And so he, you know, in the end, he uh, he apparently spent time traveling around, sort of telling his story with his camping rod, uh, earning money. I think he eventually went and worked in stables. Unfortunately, he did die 12 years later as a result of um, a series of epileptic seizures. Um, but interestingly, his skull and his camping iron um, are have been donated to Harvard School of Medicine, where hmm. apparently they're still exhibited today. So if you're in town uh, around Harvard, Go and have a look at, at Mr. Gage. Send us a picture. Yeah, yeah. If you're allowed to take one, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I will whittle on because there are just so many things. And uh, actually, you know, I think we're doing all right. We've covered quite a lot, which is brilliant. So I think I'm going to go to... Bear with me one second. Do you have any questions, actually, before I go on? Well, I have a lot of questions, oh, but God. I don't want to derail your, your line of My thought. My line of thought, okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking maybe, yeah, I'm just thinking how how to best link it maybe to the limbic system. And the well, this amygdala. limbic system was what I was going to come to. So, you know, uh, it's interesting because like we, we basically categorize the brain in about 100 different ways, right? Yeah. So I've talked about left, right hemispheres. We've got... Uh, you know the different the different lobes the four different lobes uh, we've got the deeper limbic structures which i've kindly which i've uh, sort of talked about but what we can sort of very briefly uh discuss uh, i suppose is this idea of like how the brain actually developed mm. <gasps> reptilian brain yeah 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 oh, that's so my I, favorite one yeah so i actually wrote uh it's interesting because i i feel like now we don't tend to refer to this as much because our, our the way that we talk about the brain has slightly, I think, evolved uh, uh -huh. since then. But essentially, you know, there were. I actually heard this put in a in another thing that I'd read. Is that your brain is like a committee of experts? They all work together, but each expert has its own Area special of role. expertise. Exactly, its own special properties. So sometimes uh, the brain is also divided into another three parts, just to add more. Because why not? Yeah. Um, and that's the hind brain, which is what is called your reptilian brain. And that's kind of the upper part of the spinal cord, the brain stem, and this wrinkly bit of tissue that kind of sits at the base that you will often see. So you've got this kind of nice, almost kidney bean shaped mm, brain. Mm. That's kind of like if you imagine the kidney with the arch at the top. And then underneath it's got this wrinkly structure and that's called the cerebellum. Now, you know, the hindbrain is like unbelievably important. It's the oldest of all three. It's the most primitive, um, but it's a mo it's the most reliable, but it's also the most compulsive and rigid. So mm. we can't change it. Mm -mm. A lot of it is not actually even in our conscious control. No. So, you know, uh, it controls things like heart rate, your breathing, the cerebellum coordinates your movement, uh, which, you know, so when you're learning to play piano or uh, or you're trying to learn to hit the tennis ball as, as I have been, um, you're starting to really engage your cerebellum. And probably mm. when you've had a bit to drink, that's that's mm. why you're mm. able to walk quite as coherently as you normally would. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we endorse that, guys. Oh, well, you know, yeah, it happens to the best of us. Uh, yeah. 
you then got your midbrain, which is more around, you know, your reflexes, control of eye movements, some voluntary movements. And then you've got your forebrain uh, and that and your forebrain is basically also your cerebral cortex um, or, or what's also called the cerebrum, because why not have three different names? Because they slightly incorporate uh, different things depending on which name you're using. But essentially, it's the largest and most highly developed. And that, again, you know, allows us, you know, it allows us to have the seat where our memories are, to plan, imagine, think, recognize people, play games, all these different really like higher order thinking as we talk as we as we say and it's mm. really the source of, mm. of our intelligence and that was the last bit to develop and as i mentioned gives us the competitive edge now um i mentioned really briefly uh the limbic system and i think i've covered a lot of what i wanted to kind of say anyway except let me just pivot back very quickly to uh the hippocampus again hmm. so that was that seahorse shaped um yeah. organ that i was talking about now uh the hippocampus is also not only important in terms of like emotional processing but it's actually where we generate a lot of new nerve cells that are made from adult stem cells so it's really important you know it's got a huge huge role in our memory um and so damage to that area can unfortunately lead to really severe memory impairments um so just to make sure that i'm following here mm. We develop new cells, even brain brain cells. We can. It's it's not as common in adulthood. Mm. Um, and what's really important, really, is the is more than uh, the development of new brain cells. It's also making new nerve connections, mm. and that's the neural plasticity element. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, the brain is not an organ that regenerates itself. So it's not like uh the liver, for example, which yeah. can. Um, so it's really, you know, your brain is a finite resource and it's, it really is important to, you know, mm. look after it as such. Now, going back really quickly to the amygdala, which is your favorite, uh, structure, it links emotions to memories. Yes. So it's hugely, hugely important, particularly, um, you know, for how memorable our memories are, because the more emotive memories are the ones that really stick. So, you know, this yes. is part of, uh, you know, as you know, is where really where our fear learning comes into play, because, you know, we can learn fears like literally within a few exposures and sometimes even one. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, the amygdala is also really linked to our flight or fight our fight or flight response which is something that we'll we'll continually come back to again and again and again now damage to the amygdala can cause you to become more aggressive more irritable you lose control of your emotions um and you know you have you really struggle to actually recognize what your emotions are so actually you know scientists have linked uh you know uh changes to the amygdala uh with with conditions like ptsd uh, mm. bipolar disorder autism and and depression as well mm. now uh you know i think we'll leave the hippo the hypothalamus for another conversation which is what actually one that i'm going to go to and this is the kind of the last thing i'll talk about before mm. we wrap this episode up um because i know i've provided you with a lot of information but this is just to give you a kind of idea of just how amazing the brain actually is and, and how much power you actually hold. So then anything that I really want you to take from this conversation is that your brain does amazing things. Uh, it's a finite resource, so you need to take care of it. 
it requires 20% of your energy. So it's an extremely demanding organ that needs to be fed properly in order for it to work properly. Hmm. And it's not just that, but like, you know, the hope is that, you know, as Denise has, has kind of pointed out and I have, you're, it is possible to teach an old dog new tricks. Yes. It might take a bit longer. It may take more repetitions, but it is possible. And so that's exactly how we learned in school. If you remember everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, when we went to school, you repeat it and repeat it and you written the mm-hmm. letter M 3000 times in your little notebook until you knew how to write the letter M. And that's how we as humans predominantly learn through repetition. Because mm-hmm. if you've learned the lesson when you were, I don't know, 17 and then you've never, ever touched it again, I'm pretty sure you don't remember it. But yeah. if you would have learned that lesson over and over and over again, you would know it now. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's very important to remember, as as Mira was saying, you can always learn new things. However, what most people lack is consistency. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually thought about mentioning the word <clears throat> consistency as well. Like, it, yeah, I mean, in order, yeah, any new skill requires consistency. Uh, you know, meditation, for example, is the yes. same thing, like you know, you don't have to be perfect at it. And actually, I think the practice, the whole point of meditation, for example, is that it's a practice, right? Yeah. It's not about getting it right. It's not about being able to, to uh, focus on nothing for like 30 minutes or however long you do it. It's a, it's actually the practice of pulling yourself back to the present moment when you're starting to get lost in your thoughts. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many skills like that. So even, even going to therapy is one of these skills mm-hmm. because the first time you are chatting to somebody, be, be it a coach, a hypnotherapist, a nutritionist, the first conversation might be uncomfortable because you don't really know what you're supposed to be you know, expecting, how is it going to work out. But then if you stick to it for however long you need to stick to it, you're like, oh, oh, this is actually helping. This is actually no. helping me develop. And what's really interesting about therapy, like, you know, I had this conversation recently and I've read a few books, particularly mm. on the type of therapy that I've had. And, you know, I think through the process of going and then helping you to to kind of see a, a different perspective or learn how to step out of the situation and analyze it for what it is rather than what your emotional mm, side mm-hmm. is telling you that it is. Yep. You actually learn to internalize your therapist's voice. And that's how you know when you're healing. Yes. And that is something. So basically, instead of like having an emotional reaction to a situation, so say like, I don't know. Uh, your boss has had a go not even had a go has just said hey this isn't right you're automatically potentially feeling really criticized Hmm. and you overreact in the situation or you take it really badly what what I think therapy allows you to do because of the practice because of the consistency in them reframing your thoughts Hmm. is actually you learn what would x tell me that I should be thinking yeah or not I should be what would x say in this situation absolutely and and that learning that internalization is it's a skill it's 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 a skill it's a skill and if I might add that's the reason why most therapists are therapists in the sense of especially for me is like I am not interested in being the therapist for somebody for a very long period of time mm. also because of the um, conditions and issues I deal with yeah but what I want everybody to to who walks through my virtual door to be able to do is to become their own yeah. therapist so I'll provide the information the psychoeducation as you say linking that part of you know the emotion with something that 
the shoulds, the musts, the have tos that mm. may not be correct for them. And then at some point, as you say, they are healing, they are to the point of they are, oh, actually, I can do this by myself. Yeah. I know how to be my own therapist. Yeah. I don't need to be going back for more, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm using quotation marks here because, again, I don't want to generalize, mm. but that's what I intend to do with people in, in my practice. And I'm sure you do the same with, with your clients in nutrition is you want them to be at the stage where they are, got, yeah, I got this. I know if I have new challenges tomorrow, I know how to deal with them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I think like any professional, like you're, you are there to provide the tools and, the, and as you say, the educational piece. You definitely can't walk the walk for, for no. your clients in any way, shape or form. Um, and it's up to them to take that on board and really use that. And that's yeah. how you get the most out of any type of, you know, I think uh, allied therapies or talking therapy or whatever it is. Um, but I think that point of learning is, is just so interesting in the way that actually, you know, that you're, you you learn. It's a skill that you, you learn, and it, but it requires that consistency. Yeah, you have to stick at it. You have to have the system in place to set yourself up for success. Absolutely. Yeah. If, I, if I'm linking it back to our previous conversation with Andrea, if you haven't listened to it, guys, it's um, um, we've had an episode with Andrea, who's a personal trainer and uh, a coach as well. And she was saying, you don't always have motivation on hand because mm. motivation can be quite futile sometimes. Yeah. And let's, let's be honest, we all know procrastination. Ooh, they, you know, yes. Sometimes she's our best friend. And in these situations where you are like, oh, I'm not really motivated to do it the system in place the consistency the discipline mm. will get you there totally yeah and uh you know and I think oh this is gonna sound so trite but like also you know no one's perfect consistency doesn't mean every single day without fail ideally for some things it is and especially mm. for a period of time it might be but then eventually you'll get to a point where you've learned the skill well enough that even if you yeah. go without it for a day it's not the end of the world absolutely absolutely and uh, maybe we'll we'll link back to this in, in the next episode. But if if you can remember when you first started doing your driving lessons, right? Mm. You you were completely not sure of what you were doing, how you would how you're supposed to drive, whatever, whatever. But once you got to the point, it's what we call the unconscious consciousness. You have moments when you drive yourself from work to home and you have no idea how you got there. Yeah, but so you got true. there safely. And yeah. that is because you are unconsciously conscious. Yeah. And that's, again, it's a skill. You mastered it over time and then you become so good at it that you don't need to, you know, think about it on yeah. purpose. Now I turn left yeah. and I indicate and I move my hand on the wheel. You don't yeah. have to do that. It's the same with once you get new skills in, in, in therapy or coaching, for example. You have the, oh, okay, I know what to do now. I don't have to repeat it. One last thing I'm going to say on this one, guys, is yeah. when you were children, you must all remember when you were learning how to tie your shoelaces. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, your mom, your parent, your carer, whoever that was, was telling you how to tie the shoelaces. And if you may remember, you were telling it to yourself. You were saying, now the left goes over the right, and now I make a little bow. Mm -hmm. And you were telling yourself what you are doing. Yeah. And that's probably how you learn to do many other things, when you were playing and so on. It's exactly like that to this day. Oh, yeah. We tell ourselves what we are doing until we get to that point 
Wait, we don't need to anymore. Yeah, you've just internalized it and you can do it almost unconsciously. Yes. Yeah, but it takes time and practice. Uh, but the point is, you, your brain can do it. So whether you're learning to from more from Denise or whether it's from me or, or hopefully the both of us, uh, it's still totally within your control. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. It always is. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. No matter what you read on social media, it's always in your control, guys. Yeah, 100%. There's way more that I could say. Uh, oh, gosh. She has was... a full notebook. <laughs> I do. It's, it's packed. Um, but that's kind of a whistle-stop tour of all the different parts of your brain. Um, so I think for future episodes, I'll, I'm going to pivot towards more nutrition. I'll come back to these structures. I'll come back with more interesting facts and perhaps different other famous neuroscience patients hmm. um but guys for now that's 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 hmm. this episode wrapped up so yeah thank you so much for listening i hope you've enjoyed our professional setup as much as we have i've loved it um give us if you're watching us on youtube if you're on spotify or wherever you get your podcast please give us a like Give us a rating, subscribe, follow, do all the things. It helps us get more noticed. It helps yeah. us gather more listeners. And please, like, feel free to provide us with feedback. We'll put all our socials out there um, and all our contact details. Mm. And you can always get in touch with us if you have any questions. Absolutely. We welcome the questions and we welcome also the criticism. As, oh, long, as long as it's constructive criticism. That would be absolutely well received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, anything you want to know about, anything you want to hear more about, just just let us know. We we plan to do this for a while. So, you know, we've got time. We have time. <laughs> absolutely. And there will be a test. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll wrap that up. Thanks so much, Denise, for listening. And thank you, everyone. And we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.